Thanks for listening to the audio of 717 Church. This is a place where we continually strive to worship Jesus as the King with our lives, wreck our personal kingdoms to build His kingdom, and live out God's Word in the way that we interact with others. For more information, please visit 717.church. Am I on? Yeah. Good morning. Uh, my name's Dave Lloyd. It's my wife, Ann. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, usually we let the ladies go first. But since my daughter gave me a button, you're the boss, I get to wear this one day a year. And Ann gets it tomorrow. So we have the reading from 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessings because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever you love, for whoever would love life and see good days, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. In verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Hello, I was expecting a great introduction, but I'll introduce myself. So, um, no, Jason, I wasn't gonna let you introduce me. That may have been disastrous. 
So my name's John Weaver. Um, I'm an elder here in the, in the church, in case you don't know. Uh, I don't know many of you. I'm still getting to know a lot of you, but um, I hope that in over the next few months, I get to know all of you. But I'm here, my, my wife, Laura, over here, we've been married for 38 years. And um, so you can be married for 38 years. We proved that. We, yeah. we have four children. They're all grown, one of which is here. I guess he's my favorite this morning now. And we have five grandchildren, two of which are here. I guess they're my favorite this morning as well. But um, again, life is good. And you have to realize we had four children, five and under, which that sounds bad, but that's not as bad as when you realize that for a year and a half, we had four teenagers. And now that gives you a different perspective. But I'll tell you what, we loved having teenagers at that point. We, we, just, we just had a riot. So those of you who are young, have younger children, realize the best is yet coming. And um, when they become teenagers, that's just great. But little children are great fun as well. But you, you see them starting to really develop as they move on. And one of the things we came up with, and I think the idea originated with, my, with Laura, she the founder, came up with herself, was to make our house, and this is free for all of you, to make our house the most fun place around so that all the kids, the teens and everything would come to our house, which is great because then I keep an eye on them. See, that's uh, the great thing about having them in your house. You don't have to worry about where they are. And the easiest thing to do to attract um, teenage boys is to go to Costco and buy the cheapest food you can find. You know, the stuff that's no good for you, dipped in grease or whatever. You know, it's $2.99 for this big bag. You can throw it in the oven or do whatever you want with it and just make sure you have plenty of it and you will have teenage boys. In fact, we had one who would call ahead and he would say, Mrs. Weaver, are you going to have some of those cheesy fries? And I mean, you're, you're talking about fries that... Um, <sighs> And then you just throw some cheap cheese on top and make plenty of it. He would come and sometimes, there was a time or two, he stopped in, said hi to the other kids, hung out a little bit, and we'd see him walking out with a plate full of cheesy fries. That is the truth, but they were there, they had, had a lot of fun. So you say, okay, well now you, attracted the you, now you attracted the teenage boys, how do you get the teenage girls? Well, that's easy, you have teenage boys. <laughs> but we had, we had a great time with our, um, with our children and, um, you know, it's been great. So anyhow, thanks to my son and his wife and their children. What? Who? Oh, yeah, she does cook. Not for the teenage boys. She cooked for the rest of us. They got the stuff, you know. They're not choosy. Man. But my wife is a great cook. So if you get invited, some of you who've been there know that as um, as well. So anyhow, maybe we should get to what I was appointed to do here this morning. Uh, I won't be asked again, depending on what happens here. But um, again, now, can everybody just shake your shoulders a little bit? You know, Sunday mornings tend to be this thing. We got to rush out and do something we don't do all week and try to look kind of our best, maybe, because we know other people are going to be looking at us to see how good we look this morning. Right, Mitchell? Everybody looks at you to see how well you're doing. So we, we, we get this. I might move around. If I start pulling you, Jason, just pull back. Yeah. Um, so, but we tend to be a little bit more stressed, maybe Sunday morning sometimes getting there. So can everybody shake your shoulders a little bit and relax? Yeah. Little, come on. There we are. Because we're here to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's a great place to be. We should be excited about that. And um, 
I want to look at this passage, but I'm going to zero in on verse 15 then. But this, this was written, uh, the whole book of First Peter was written to the church in central, what is now central Turkey. And it was, a, it was a church that was coming under some suffering, some persecution. And if you see it from verses 13 on, it was talking about that. In the beginning part of it, it says about how we should be and how we should live. I'm not going to say anything more about that than read it and do it, and you'll be fine with that. Simple. So the second part, he's talking about how the church should be in a time of suffering, a time when you're not quite fitting in with society around you. And that would probably apply to our situation today. We are not of this world. We are in one sense, not even of this society, but we live among it. So it's really good for us to know and to learn how do we live in that type of a situation. And every generation, every country, every um, group of Christians that ever lived had to figure out how do we live in the society in which we've been placed. Because that's our mission, is not to be out of this world, it's to be in this world, but not of this world. Oh, my screen just went blank, so I've talked too much already. So let's look at and, and take a look at verse 15. It says, but sanctify. That means to make holy, to set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts. First thing we need to do is make Christ Lord of our hearts. We start there. Then it says, always being ready. It doesn't say sometimes be ready. It says always be ready. Always be ready to make a defense, literally an argument or an explanation to everyone who asks. That's interesting. Let's just think a little bit about that. Why are they asking? What is it about the situation that people are asking you something? We'll read on. To everyone who asks you to give an account, give a reason. I think in the, the verse, in a version that um, the Lloyd's read, it says a reason. To give a reason an, um, an, for the account, an account for the hope that is in you. And this is where we're going to dwell. The hope that is in you. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, what is the hope that is within you? Now, I know you could give me some, maybe some religious answers because you've been trained on it and said, well, my hope is this because I've been learned it in Sunday school 40 years ago. That's all great and true. But what is the hope that is in you? What, what, what do you hope in? Now, in the, in the New Testament, the word hope is a much stronger word than what we use hope in English. We would say, I hope it get that raise. Oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's kind of a 50-50 chance, or I hope this clothing fits me because I have this big shindig tonight. But, it, but it's kind of, a, yeah, I hope, I wish. In the New Testament, the word in the Greek is a much stronger word. It really means expectation. When you say, when in the New Testament, whenever you read that word, just slip in the word expectation. There is an expectation that it's going to come to completion. Here we are. The New, New Testament hope is the expectation of the fulfillment of Christ's promise. And what that means is when we have hope, we know that the things that Christ has promised, they will come to pass. And let me use an example. When we talk about an expectant mother, what, what are they expecting? A baby. 
are they, are they thinking, well, I kind of wish, I, you know, I hope it's a baby, you know, maybe it's 50-50 chance, hopefully not a watermelon or a cantaloupe or something like that, a bowling ball. No, the expectation is 100% that it's going to be a baby. In the promises of Christ, it is 100% sure that what he said, he will bring to pass. That is the hope we have. That is how sure it is that it will come to pass. Uh, it's not a, a weak word. Um, another, let me give you one more illustration. When you sit down at your computer, your phone, and you look at it and you say, oh, I'm going to buy something from Amazon. Everybody buys stuff from Amazon, right? And you go on there and you, oh, that's, you chalk it up. And then at the bottom it says something else says, People who bought this product also liked, and you look down there and you go, oh yeah, I also like that too. And then it comes up another one and you're sitting there, you know, a little bit later, all of a sudden you have 15 things in your cart and then you go and then you think, mm. so you might take a couple off, but you, you really want it in. Now, when you hit the send button, buy it, and your credit card's already on there, isn't that handy? Uh, credit card's already on there, off it goes and, then you realize, okay, I have an expectation because I have next day delivery, that tomorrow it will be on my porch and I will have it. 100% expectation. You don't say, well, I hope it comes. Maybe, mm, might not, might, I wish it's there. You expect it to be there. And thanks to Amazon, most of the time it is there. And most of the time, you try to get there before your spouse gets there so they don't see how many things you got ordered. And you're thinking, I better get there before he does. Come on. I, you, yeah, I see some few people agreeing with that one. But isn't it the expectation? The point I want to make is you just expect it's going to show up. You don't wish it. You don't. And that is the strength and the importance of the hope in the New Testament that is going to come to pass. So let me ask this question. What is the hope that lies within you? What is that thing that you really are expecting to come to pass? And when someone asks you, it's interesting that said when someone asks you, they must see something in your life, they must see something in your face, they must see something in your actions that they say, what is that hope? What is that thing within you? What answer are you going to give? I'm going to tell you what answer you should give. So there's three promises. And I always look for three. Did I? I think we can go to the next slide. I always look for three because, you know, I'd like to think it's because of the Trinity, you know, three points. I'd also like, you know, matter comes in three forms. You get air, you get, you know, the gas, air, you get a solid and you get liquid. A lot of things, faith, hope, and love, you have three things. And I would like to think that I always look for three points and three uh, items because of that reason. The reality is I can only remember three things. That's why I only come up with three. And now let me give an, let me give an illustration just to prove that I can only think of three things. If my wife, sometimes she says, pick up something at the grocery store. And some of you people are going to identify with this. So she says, get me milk, eggs, and cheese. I will go to the grocery store and I will get eggs, milk, and cheese. If she says, also says, and could you bring a watermelon home as well? All bets are off what I come home with. I mean, I could come home with asparagus, a turnip, um, maybe some dog food, I don't know what. Who knows what I will come up with? Because my mind can only process three things. Uh, 
And now I see there's some people poking their spouses saying, see, I'm not the only one that's strange and can't remember things. If it's more than three, she'll write it down or send me something in uh, a text and say, hey, can you get these four things? Well, then I can go down through. But it, it's, a, it's a serious issue for, for men, especially. We can only focus in on one thing. And it's, so I'm really doing well at being able to remember three things. So, you know, I, you need to realize this is a real struggle because men tend to focus in on one thing. Ladies tend to have a little bit broader view of things, so they can remember things. We'll pull into a Starbucks, and if my two daughters especially are, are there, they'll pull up, and one of them will give the order for the whole group. You know, well, I'd like um, uh, a tall um, latte with Colombian coffee and non-dairy creamer and two pumps of um, whipped cream on the top and some cinnamon, and then they go on to the next one, and, and I'm like, I was already lost after three. So then they, then they usually get around to me and they'll say, because I'm usually driving, the only reason they ever bring me along is to drive and to pay the bill. But that's the only reason. So I'm sitting there and then they get to me and then they go, the usual, yep, three things, tall, caramel, frappuccino. What's so difficult about that? And they'll repeat it. But they had the whole group of them as one of them's going on and I'm just totally lost. Because again, I can remember three things. So typically what happens is I'll pull up and they'll roll, roll the window down for the person behind me and, they, sit, and they, they start telling the person what they want. So if you ever see a car at a Starbucks and it's pulled up and extra and the people in the back seat are talking to the window, it's probably me because I can't remember it to give it. But anyhow, so I came up with three things and these, I think these are promises that you see throughout the Bible from the very beginning. And the first one is, I will be with you. That is a promise that started in the Garden of Eden and it continued on through. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, it says God walked with man. He was there with man and then man fell. And what does it say? The first thing man did and, woman, and the woman, Adam and Eve, it says they hid from the presence of God. He was there with them, but they hid from the presence of God. In the children of Israel, when they came up out of Egypt, God went with them. In the, he was in the cloud by day and the fire by night. When they built the um, Ark of the Covenant, it says God dwelt between the wings of the cherubim. One of the greatest promises that we have and one of the greatest hopes we can tell others is the fact that God is with us. And then ultimately, of course, we have the person of Jesus Christ. There is no greater example of God being with us. He came down from heaven. Not only did he come and dwell among us, he became one of us. Now you can look at all the religions of the world and sometimes gods have come down, quote, gods have come down, but never had one of their gods ever said, I'm going to become a man. He wanted to be so close to so, so much to understand us that that's the place he took. He came down, and we, we, we sang it in the one song this morning, I took notice. The, um, no matter what we suffer with in life, and we all have issues, we all have issues, loneliness, bitternesses, um, sometimes we feel alone. There's just these, the, these things we deal with in life. One thing we can always do when, it, when a struggle is real, we can always step back into the presence of God and be there and dwell there until we find the peace 
and the rest that we need. So when you're going through life, step back into who he is and allow him to become part within us and to bring his peace and his rest, because then we can stand. The second, second promise that we have from God is that he will save us. Now, this idea of saving us is not just saving us from our sins, although he did that. It's not just that. It's that he saved us for something. He saved us for health. He saved us for a blessing. He saved us to go forth and, and, and carry his word. He saved us for all kinds of things. And in life, we suffer from failure. We suffer from insecurities. You name it. You're probably thinking of something right now that just is constantly a, a, a bothering you. He came to do a work to take care of that. Now, I know um, there is this idea, and, and it's, it's a truth. Jesus paid and took care of everything on the cross. The work was finished on the cross. All sickness, all death, all, it was all taken care of. Everything that was wrong with this world, this fallen world, he took care of in the cross. But we also know we live in a time until his return, until the final consummation, when it's still being worked out. And that's another sermon in itself. How do we live in that time? Between the great promises of total healing, total prosperity, total everything healthy, total harmony, how do we live in that promise of what he did in the cross when we still really don't see it in our lives totally yet? That's another day, another dollar. Uh, the ultimate, again, hope that we have here is that Jesus Christ came to the cross. He died and he took care of all of it. He came to save us from our sins, save us from ourselves. If, if you don't know if you don't know how much you need Christ, let me give you an experiment to practice. I did this about two or three times I tried this one when, before I was married. It's a lot harder once you're married, and it's almost impossible once you have children. But anyhow, I decided one night that when I woke up in the morning, I was not going to sin. I was going to have no evil thoughts. I was not going to um, speak anything bad. I was not going to get irritated. I was going to live for one day. Perfect life, sin-free, just no bad thoughts or anything. Now, I was single and there was nobody around me. And I thought, well, that's surely a good start. I, you know what? The first time I tried it, I didn't even get out of bed. So all of a sudden I realized, you're really thinking a bad thought there. You're done for the day. You might as well start all over tomorrow. And I mean, if you're married and have children, you, you know it doesn't go long until something will irritate you. Somewhere along the line, something will happen and you'll say, hmm, ding, you're out. So I tried that two or three times and just wasn't too good at it. So if you think that you're really pretty good and you can go, go, go for it, try it sometime. I would suggest you go away when there's nobody around because that helps because you realize real fast it isn't other people who are the problem. It's you that's the problem. Because when you're by yourself and all of a sudden you're thinking things and you're trying to live a perfect life, you realize it dwells within us. We are in need of the touch of Jesus every day. Now, if you do get through most of the day, towards the end of the day, you're going to think, 
boy, I'm really doing good here. Ding! It's called pride. You're out. You see how you did hear of the person, the, the most humble person, man, and they gave him this award saying that he was the most humble person. And then they had to take it away from him because he wore it all the time. That's how we do. Even sometimes we puff ourselves up and we think we're doing so good and we're better than other people. Ding! That's pride. That's all kinds of things. We are fallen people saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to say that again. We are fallen people saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a really good opportunity to say amen. We'll try it one more time and see if anybody can respond and see that, nobody, that everybody's still here. We are fallen people in desperate need of the grace of Jesus Christ. A little bit better there. We'll work on that one, but I'm doing pretty good. So let's go on to the third one. And this is the one that says, I will come. In the case of Christians, it will, I will return. Again, if you look at the Old Testament, way back in the book of Genesis, chapter three, um, the fall has taken place and God talks to the serpent and he is telling the serpent that you will bruise the heel of my coming one, of my servant, but he will bruise your head. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather be bruised on my heel than on my head. And that is a very beginning picture that there is one coming, there is one coming who is going to deliver and take care of it. So throughout the Old Testament, they were looking for this Messiah, this person, this God who would return and would come and would set them free, always setting them free from the, in this case, Israel, from all their enemies, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Midianites, and all these other knights, and including the Parasites. They were waiting until God would come and deliver them as a nation. We know that Jesus Christ then came and he did a work on the cross that set us free. That's what we're looking for. And then through the ascension, the resurrection, the ascension, he went back. He's seated at the right hand of the father and there he dwells and we're waiting for his return. Now, I could say, well, I know when he's coming back, but that would obviously make me a false person. Nobody knows. We don't know. It could be today yet. It could be tomorrow. It may not be for 10,000 years. We really don't know. But there's one thing we are guaranteed. This is a promise of God that he will return. That is the hope that is within us. When everything is going into failure, when things are falling apart in your life, even when things are going great, we need to hold that hope, that expectation that he is going to return. Because when he returns, everything that is wrong, everything that was an injustice, everything that has happened to you that is not fair, right, or righteous, you can be sure of one thing. It will be over at that point and all the records will be set straight. He will set it straight when he returns. I don't know when that's going to be, but when he comes, it's going to be exciting because there's going to be an expectation, a hope that it's all going to be great. And it will be because he will return. So this is the hope we have. Three things that we can say when people ask us, what is the hope within you? And it's going to be this. We know that God is with us. 
We can step back into his presence. He is with you. If you don't know that God is with you, you need to do business with God. You can come and talk to us afterwards. If you're one of the people here who you do not know that God is with you, talk to someone because we can have that hope that God is with each one of us. He's with us. The second thing is we know that Jesus Christ did a great work. He saved us. He touched us. He changed us. He loves us. He cares for us. He did a mighty work. That should dwell within us. It's a promise. It's an expectation, a hope that we have. And also we know we have the expectation of his return. That one who was resurrected in the time of the Romans, they crucified tens of thousands of people. In fact, some historians estimate that they may have crucified up to a million people in about seven centuries of rule until Constantine said, ah, we're going to stop that practice. That's a little nasty. So approximately maybe a million people were crucified. In one case, when Spartacus, some of you saw the movie, I guess, Spartacus, when he rebelled against Rome, when the generals finally captured him and overthrew them, they crucified 6,000 people on one day and they lined them up on the roads out of Rome so that everybody would look at that and say, ah, I don't want to do that. I learned my lesson well. But, and all of them were crucified and every one of them stayed in the grave except for one. And that is Jesus Christ. The grave could not hold him because he was the living God. He was the son of God and nothing could hold him. And now he's seated at the right hand of God and he will return. And that is a promise and a hope that we have. And that makes a lot of things right. So this morning, I'm just simply going to ask, um, why don't you stand? Can we have a last slide? So what do I ask for you to do? Not a whole lot, just simply to receive. Once you hold your hands out like this, and I'm just going to pray. If it's too much to hold both of them out, hold one of them out. If you can't hold any of them out, hold them out in your heart. And just receive from God. You don't need to do anything. You just need to receive. When I pray, whatever is on your heart, whatever is bothering you, whatever prayer requests you have, whatever expectation you have, whatever that hope is, now is your opportunity to just receive that from God and allow him to work it into your life and into the situation that is on your heart. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask now that your faithful servants are standing here. Their hearts are open. Whatever you have put on their hearts, from victory to defeat, to failure, to glorious things, whatever's on their heart, Lord, I ask now that you would just bless them and that everyone would receive that hope, that expectation of what you're doing and who you are. And Lord, that as we go out of this place, I ask that we would take that hope, that expectation of the greatness of who you are and what you have done. Father, each individual, each person standing here, Lord, you know them separately. You have loved them individually. You have cared for them. None are standing alone in your presence. Father, just do your work now in our midst. Sovereignly send your spirit into our hearts and fill us with hope
an expectation of you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we also now just want to bless this track. They have been so kind to us, giving us and allowing us to use this facility for the past months and just blessing us. And now, Father, because they have blessed your people, I ask that you would bless them and you would give to them accordingly to how they have given to us and minister your grace to all the people who work here and all the owners and all the people involved. Just bless them. Father, I ask now from this congregation, as we go out, that your presence would go with them because you said that you would be with us and you are, and we wait upon that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. We hope that today's message helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and live out what His Word is calling you to. Hit the subscribe button below to follow us, share with a friend, or leave a review. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at 717.church.